again, good morning, everybody. If you're just now joining us via live stream, welcome. We're in a panel discussion regarding the question, why church? That's actually the series title. We're asking several different questions under that banner, why church? And today, we're going to be entertaining the question, is church relevant? It's good to have all, all of you with us. There, all y'all. There's a couple of ways in which you can uh, correspond with us regarding the questions or just share your thoughts regarding anything having to do with why church. Number one, you can text us your engagement. You would do that by texting your comments to 720-878-3323. We are monitoring that text. Also, if you're watching via live stream, you can... Um, Use the chat window on the device that you're looking at. You have your view that you're watching us in, but just to the right of that should be a chat window. Enter your name, sign on, and you'll be able to chat with us. I'm monitoring that right here in front of me, and so I'll do my best to keep in uh, track of that as well. So, uh, how's everybody doing? Pastor, you just, you just finished a class over there and then ran, ran over here. And, and then that, yeah, that's after preaching this morning and holding your own service. Oh, that was, that was good. Yeah. Yeah, 1 Peter's a lot of fun. Uh, we, I just walked out of the Bible study when we talked about um, Jesus was raised in the Spirit, and then he went to preach to the spirits in prison. And then I just left them with one of the hardest biblical questions. And here, I just walked out on that Ooh. one. Way to go, Pastor. So, but we had, Ooh. yeah, I know. Ooh, so, so Jesus went to hell, huh? So, so, <laughs> and released prisoners or something. Um, that is a great image, though, of oh, Jesus man. reaching down into hell and saying that nobody's left in there. He's yes. just going to keep reaching and pulling them out. Um, and then we got John chapter 9, the healing of the man born blind this morning. Oh, I love that passage. That it is just phenomenal. So just, much uh, good, uh, good to oh, yeah. talk about in there that uh, addresses... So much bad theology today about oh, yeah. sin oh, yeah. and the attitude of God and yeah. penal substitution. And yep, yep. Inclusion, exclusion. Uh, you know, uh, there's a whole lot of everybody's being included and excluded for various reasons according to rules and checklists and things like that. Anyway, that was uh, a lot of fun this morning. Well, you know, the, the rest of the three of us might just go sit down and yeah, I know. give it to you. I know, I know. That's, so, <laughs> we are here for another purpose. Yes, we so, are. And I've been thinking about the relevancy of the church for like two weeks now. So yeah. Lisa's question continues well, to rattle around in my y tiny brain. You're going to be ready to go. Once again, put your engagement, your questions, your comments, your thoughts regarding why church, and specifically, is the church still relevant in the chat window on the device that you're watching us in, or text them to 720 878-3323. And by the way, that's the same for y'all. You can use that. Uh, you can go out to the website and um, view it there and jump into the chat, or you can simply text. We won't be getting up to bring you the microphone. Now, I, I guess, did we bring our little forms for that <laughs> you know purpose? Do you have a few? Have? Okay, so here's, we started this last week where we passed out a little form 
where those of you in the audience here can write your question down on, on a piece of paper and then turn it in. And that's how we're, we're taking your response here. Or, of course, you can text it, as we've said. So Nina's grabbing those forms. We'll pass those out to you. And uh, without further ado, then, let's just review, if we could, Lewis, for a minute, uh, the various topics in this series that we've been talking about, all right? So... What is the church was week number one. Why is the church important was week number two last week. Both of those messages have been, uh, they're up on the uh, website, they're online, they're available to you. Today we're going to talk about is the church still relevant and based on the fact that I have not been able to do more than, we've not been able to process more than one question per panel discussion, I know we have a week four to get to the fourth question in our series, how should I be involved? If the church is still relevant, how should I be involved? Okay, so again, for those of you that are in the congregation, you've been handed a form, you can write your questions there. It's not meant to be three questions on a form, it's meant to be one question per form, and then as you think of things, you know, write down uh, another question on another form and, and get that up to us because we want to know your questions as soon as you've written them down. Uh, I, I have a quote here that I've shared each week with you and I want to again um, share that with you. It goes this way, the diversity of views gives one the freedom to wrestle. There's a diversity of views on the church represented at this table. And certainly amongst those of you who are sharing with us your thoughts and feelings. We welcome that. We applaud that. We think that, and crea that creates an environment to wrestle with your faith. To wrestle with the Bible. To wrestle with your journey with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we think that's also healthy. All four of us would tell you we long ago left the um, we vacated and left the um, I'm going to let Jim finish here because he's walking right in front of the camera and that's okay Jim we, we just love you so <laughs> um, all four of us at this table have left the theology of being locked into certainty I would dare say if I were speaking for, for the other three that they might agree with me on this, that there is a sin to certainty. In fact, Peter Enns wrote a book entitled The Sin of Certainty. I preached a series called The Beauty of Uncertainty. Um, Job is a book that highlights uncertainty against a strong voice from all of his friends and the theology of the day of certainty and this is why and the passage you dealt with this morning that's what the Jewish people were wrestling with was the certainty that they knew what had caused this man's blindness in John chapter 9 and Jesus said no it wasn't God and neither was it a sin in their life and so I just love the idea of wrestling with scripture and with faith I have two scriptures that I want to uh, bring to your attention or share with you as we begin to address, is the church still relevant? Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. That's the Greek word ecclesia. 
and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is the only passage I know of in all the Bible, the only time recorded in, of the words of Jesus, the only words of Jesus that we have on record where he said he's building something. And he said, I'm building my ecclesia or ecclesia. And he is committed to that. In fact, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Listen to the two first messages to find out more about what is the church then and why is it important. Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So this ecclesia is referred to by Paul as being a body, the body of Christ. And we're all different parts. Jesus is the head, and then each of us has some other part of the body. No part of the body can say to another part of the body, I don't need you. In fact, what if the hand just ran off and said, you know what, I'm going to live this journey of faith on my own. Um, I'm going to worship God. I feel God better in the mountains. I feel closer to God in the mountains. And uh, I don't need people. And in fact, all I've been is hurt by the church. And so... I don't need you. Paul says the hand can't say that. And he goes on in other passages, or continuing in other verses that I didn't bring up here to, say, to bring out other parts of the body who cannot say to another part of the body, I just don't need you. We need each other. I refer to this as the universal body of Christ. I don't believe we can argue the, that God's idea of hosting his presence and work in the earth is meant to take place through Christ's body. We might argue what comprises the body of Christ and how it should function. That can be debated. But I don't believe we can argue that it was God's idea for the body of Christ in the earth to host his presence. And Paul makes that clear by his statement. You can't say, I don't need you. So I need you. I need to be in relationship with you. Now, here's a little video, watch this, about the nature of sharing. Would you now I'm gonna have I'm gonna have our sound team play that again. I want you to zone in on especially the young man. He's not blind. It kind of looks like that as he's feeling around with his chopsticks. He's not blind. If you look carefully, he's looking at his phone. And so while engaged with his phone, he reaches out and he expects to find something still in the bowl with his chopsticks, and he doesn't. And then that's the rest of the engagement. I love the little girl and her response to his unselfish act. Let's show it again.
that's what I feel like when I hug one of you. That's what I feel like when you come up to me and say, great sermon, Pastor. That's what I feel like when I have an opportunity to pray for one of you because you're down or you're sick or you're troubled or something's happened. That's the way I feel. I just, it lights me up. And I believe that's the way God ordained this to work. Receiving love from and giving love to God, others, and ourselves is what Jesus said makes the church and keeps the church relevant. John 15, verses 12 through 14. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I've loved you. There is no greater love. Lay down one's life for your friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. You see, the Imago, imago Dei, the image of Christ, the image of God within you, your authentic self longs to be allowed to find its fulfillment and expression in loving God and in loving others. So Paul picks up on this in his letter to the Ephesian church. Ephesians chapter 1. In Christ, he chose us before the world was made. Because of his love, God has already decided to make us his own children through Jesus Christ. That was what he wanted, and that's what pleases him. You know what pleases God? You and me just being children, like the little Japanese uh, kids there, sharing their meal, sharing their food, loving one another. That's such a great picture of how God thinks of all this, in my view. So our human existence and our daily life and the divine, they're not separate realities or functions. They're one. And Jesus demonstrated this for us during his life here. Sharing that life with one another and our community is the body of Christ. It's, it's the purpose. So here's what Richard Rohr says. The true purpose of mature religion is to lead you to ever new experiences of your true self. If religion does not do this, it is, it is junk religion. Every sacrament, every Bible story, every church service, every sermon, every hymn, every bit of priesthood, ministry, every uh, all or excuse me, every bit of priesthood, ministry or liturgy is for one purpose: to allow you to experience your true self, who you are in God and who God is in you, and to live a generous life from that infinite source. So that's my opening to our question regarding relevancy, and I'm going to toss it now to any of the others here um, at the table for their comments about relevancy, and then we're going to take your questions. Remember, type it into the chat right now, begin to chat with us, or text us at 720-878-3323. And Richard Rohr's words are wonderful. And it, as soon as you finished that, I went back to your original statement. And I can't be who I am unless you are who you are. We are bound up with one another. So say that again. I can't be who I am through all of those wonderful gifts unless you are who you are. I can't be who I am unless... 
Okay. Africans have a word for that. See, I had to use like a whole sentence that Africans had a word for that. Ubuntu. Ubuntu. I can't be who I am. And that's a favorite of uh, the late Desmond Tutu, Archbishop Anglican, Archbishop out of South Africa. I can't be who I am unless you are who you are. I want you in your fullness. And then we are the body of Christ together. That's a great... Yeah, you can't get enough Richard Rohr. Uh, yeah. The Universal Christ is the book that will scare you a little bit. But <laughs> get the book, read the book four or five times. Yeah. Love Richard Rohr's works. Um, this wasn't what I was going to say, but now that you brought up Ubuntu, Ubuntu yeah, yo, I can't say it right. That was brought up in our uh, Apostolic Roundtable, and I took some notes. Of course, these are notes, so whether or not I... I'm saying it quite, quite correctly, but they were uh, talking about this concept. I am because we are. A person with Ubuntu is open and available to others, affirming of others, does not feel threatened that others are able and good. It's based from a proper self-assurance that comes from knowing that he or she, or she belongs in a greater whole and is diminished when others are humiliated or diminished. So you yourself are diminished when, you, when others are. When others are tortured or oppressed. Uh, this is, again, uh, Archbishop Tutu. Yes, He goes on to elaborate that Ubuntu is the essence of being human, that you cannot exist as a human being in isolation. The beauty of Ubuntu is interconnection, and the generosity that flows as a result. That's a lot, huh? <laughs> it's really good. Really good. Well, as far as my concept uh, on, on, we were supposed to all share a few minutes. Yes. I, I, this is pretty simplistic, so I, I, I'm kind of glad I'm sharing first and then you two guys that are left. Well, I'm sharing second. You shared first and shared very beautifully. Yeah. But, uh, you know, since we know that the church is a gathering <clears throat> and we're asking, is it still relevant? Well, I, yeah, it's still relevant. It's always going to be still relevant because people need people, period. I mean, it's pretty simple that way, pretty simplistic. Um, I mean, people gather in bars, people gather in schools, people gather at work, people gather at their kids' soccer games, people gather in sports arenas, people gather because people need to gather, People innately know we need people. Um, the church is a gathering of people as we're walking, worshiping God and walking our journey with God. We're, that, that's our emphasis. Um, and so that's going to always and is now and always will be relevant. But if what we're asking is the church relevant to the world today, mm. the people who are not yet... Um, walking in a gathering on their journey with God? Is it relevant to the world, to those people who aren't yet doing that, walking in a gathering? In the, they may, in, may be in a journey with God, but are they walking in a gathering with their journey with God? Well, I think that's an ever... Are we, are we relevant to that? Well, that's an ever-changing answer, actually, yeah. because the world is ever-changing. So as a, for instance, and if I understand correctly, was, it, was John, Jonathan Edwards in the 1800s? Yeah, like in, in America and in the 1800s, and we're aware that he had a major sermon um, 
in the hands of an angry God. And it brought revival. So people began to gather on their journey with God together because of this sermon that was a hellfire and brimstone sermon. But I don't think, at least in America, for instance, it might work somewhere else. I'm not so sure that message would be wild, wildly accepted here in America today, in this, in this day and age. As a matter of fact, my understanding is there's a great deal of the reason people don't go to church from the studies that are done or because they feel like they're being guilted when they come to church. Um, they, they feel like they're being judged when they go to church. That's a big argument that people bring up. That's why I don't go to church. I feel like I'm judged when I go there. Well, so they're not going to take a hellfire and brimstone message like that so much today. Okay? And, and so are we relevant to today's culture? And, um, and, and I don't have all the answers to that, but something that I do think is an everlasting answer is... Uh, and you brought it up, is, is the love of God. And so if it's all about, to me, uh, God is love. We were made for love, which means we were made for loving relationships with God and with each other and with all mankind, by the way. And so is our, is, and, and we can't, by the way, is the church still relevant? Is the church relevant today? Well, we can't speak for the church across the world. Um, we, have to, we have to do what we can do in our, in our local churches. So one church might be more relevant than another one is. You know? And there's other aspects to relevancy. I understand that. Like, how do you actually do some of these things? Sure. But, but I think, to me, the bottom foundation of relevancy is love. And so are we a loving, caring, accepting, without exception... Uh, body, do do we do we or do we oust? Do we do we put a hand up and say no? The homosexual can't come here. No, the killer can't come here. No, the what? So there might be certain boundaries we have to set. Obviously, you don't want someone who isn't practicing. I'm really using the extremes here, you know, a practicing rapist. You've got to deal with those issues, right? But you can still love the person in some way. You know, you can still ex find, try to help them find answers if they're open to answers. That's really an extreme. But the foundation here is, is that are we a loving people to every color, every race, valuing, here, maybe put it this way, valuing every human being. That's maybe what I'm trying to say. Valuing every human being, no matter what their race or color or religion or the way they live their lives. Or we, do we put value on them? Something like that. I know there's some boundaries we have to set at times. but Matt, share your thoughts. Okay. Um, church uh, has meant a lot of different things to me throughout my life. And... Um, there were times that I wasn't actually going to a church service, um, but I was working at a Christian school, and so that was my church. And I would go there, and we'd have chapel every week, right? So I've never really been uh, through a long period of time in my life where I wasn't going to a church. Um, but there were times where people that were really close to me were not, and I could see very quickly 
um, you know, over the course of a year or two, someone who I was pretty close with, we had a fairly similar theological outlook, uh, over the course of two years of not going to church or not being part of a community of people who believe, their, their ideas would, would start to drift very quickly, um, and they would hear something, and they would read something in this book, or they would talk to this person, and this person would say, oh, this, uh, and, and, you know, so then you, you see very quick, quickly, um, people who aren't connected to a community can kind of go in a direction um, that isn't necessarily um, towards a better, closer relationship with God. And in my mind, I was always like, well, they're going the wrong way because I have to be going the right way, of course. Um, <laughs> but the truth is, uh, I wasn't necessarily going the right way. Uh, but just to demonstrate that it is very easy um, to, 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 like, have a different influence in your life that isn't positive. Um, someone that is very close to me over the course of the last two years during COVID, um, very isolated, started watching the news a lot, um, was kind of their primary source of input from the outside world, became very negative, became very pessimistic, had high anxiety, even had a heart attack uh, in the last two years because of the stress. And that, that, that source of input was very powerful in their life because they didn't have anything else that was checking that. Um, so the relevancy of the church to me is, uh, it's not that the church is right. It's not that the church is always perfect. Uh, in fact, wow, mostly not. Um, but it's a place that you go to get your uh, more positive input for your mind and it's not always going to be right, but you get to wrestle with that. Um, so for me, having a community where everyone is accepted is really important. Um, I was talking to another friend of mine. By the way, all of you have all these quotes from, from very intelligent, um, thoughtful people. I just have personal experiences, so hopefully that's okay. <laughs> uh, had another friend I was talking to, and, and when Nina said, would we accept a rapist in our church? It was kind of jarring, I think, probably for most of you. It was for me for a second. I was like, um, but I was talking to a, a friend just a couple months ago, and I was, I was talking about how I believe that Jesus has redeemed everyone. And this person had an experience in their life, someone that they loved had been raped. And he said, if I ever found the person who did it, I would kill them. And I was like, I understand that. That's, that's, that's difficult. Yeah. And could we accept that person? Even if it had been 10 years ago, would we accept that person knowing that? And so for me, it is very difficult, but I think that that's a really important piece of it because if we start excluding people, where do we stop excluding people? And we end up at a, we end up at a place where we have a club, um, just the people that we accept, just the people that we approve of, and that's not what Jesus was about. Thank you. Really great ideas. All right. We're wanting to, yeah, we're wanting you, your engagement. And so keep in mind, we'd love for you to communicate with us your thoughts about this question. Is the church still relevant? How do you find it relevant? So 720-878-3323, or you can type your comment in the chat window. I served three congregations congregations in Elroy, Fountain, and Hustler, Wisconsin. 
and a member of one of the congregations was convicted of sexually abusing children from one of the other congregations that I served. Mm. Um, that came home. I'm, uh, yeah. How do you create a meaningful community of discipleship, faithfulness, protection, right? Wow, that was, that was, a, real that was a real challenge. We did, we had to work at it. Uh, to talk about transparency and honesty. Um, so you, and when we get to the question of relevance, it has to do with our relationships. It has to do with real people who have suffered real wow. things. That's good. Um, wow. So, yeah, your personal testimonies, Matt, are huge. Um, living back in the world of theory is, is not very effective and not very helpful. Um, it's about our relationships with one another. It's about the words we use. It's about the practices that we practice, the, the rituals that we do. And rather than those words and those rituals and those behaviors being, Nina, you stuck your hand out, barriers and pushback, they're welcome. I, I, I've been mulling around this relevancy question, and I have three vivid illustrations, some recent, some old, um, where the church was irrelevant. And I do not want to go down a rabbit hole of negativity, but you may have seen the, uh, the news flash that came out of Arizona, the Catholic priest that used the wrong words to baptize, used the wrong word, one word. one word, when he baptized the children. He said, we baptize you instead of I baptize you, da-da-da-da-da-da-da all the way to the archbishop's office, all the way to Rome, those baptisms were invalidated because the, because the words were more important than the relationships and the people. We Lutherans get all twisted up about the words that get used at Holy Communion, almost as if they're magical words. We don't believe in magic. We'll tell you that forever. But... I've had more arguments with fellow clergy that want to get twisted up about that. Literally those words. I had an argument with a 20-something years ago with a guy when I was serving out in, in Burlington, and he argued with me about not believer's baptism versus infant baptism. You would have thought that's what the argument would have been. No, 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 no. I didn't use enough water when I baptized this young man. I sprinkled out of a font as opposed to immersed in a pool or a, really? And I looked at it, I said, it's the amount of water? But he actually said it was the water. Yeah, he, he didn't go to believer's baptism. He didn't talk about why. He, no. Or my Lutheran colleagues that argue about the words that I use at that altar. Or the Catholic priest that used the wrong word. How irrelevant can we possibly be when it is, in fact, the words and the rituals and our practices and our behaviors that bind us together and build relationships, build the kingdom, so that the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. And hell is seeping in through all of these various little devious ways. Oh, that's a good... <sighs> um, that? Hell is seeping in through all of this division and silliness 
arguing about things like that. I have a question that was turned in from the congregation, and I'm going to need some clarification before we address it. It says, Genesis is becoming a bit more diverse, race and culture-wise. But why are we not much more diverse? In what way do you mean in, are you talking just race? Are we talking about gender? Are we talking about worship style? What, when you say, whoever this is, and I don't have a name, why are we not much more diverse? Is that just race? Okay. Good. I, I wish we would had brought you the microphone. So, generally speaking, it it is focused on race and culture, not so much other practices of the church and so forth. So, why are we not more black, Hispanic, um, Asian, so on and so forth? So that this this individual who just spoke said, I have brought people of culture. I have brought people of different race. And we're largely just white. And so it's uncomfortable. So, again, the question then is, we're becoming a bit more diverse, but why are we not much more diverse? Well, I'll, I'll answer quickly. One of the reasons is, is because the pastor and his wife are white. Quite simply, we're white and we're old. Uh, older. I don't consider myself at all old. So, so, watch. And most of our team in the past has been. But as soon as we begin to add people of color people of color started noticing. So when the Rojases joined our team, people of color began to take a different look. And that is one of the primary reasons why. You know, this North area, and I'm sure, Wes, you can vouch for this, is the fastest growing segment of our population is Hispanic. And it has been for years and years. But you go into a typical church like ours, especially a denominational setting, and they're largely white. And until those churches, including ours, do what is necessary to bring people of color and different culture on staff where they share in the ministry responsibilities and in touching they will remain largely the color that they are. This is an issue for largely black Pentecostal churches, for instance. And they don't try to change it. They, they're black and they like being black. 
Uh, personally, I don't want to be a white church of white color that's given to white uh, cultural practice and so forth. I want to be multicultural. But I also know that it can't be, what's the word? Forced, orchestrated, mandated, you can't, you know, you can't make that happen. And sometimes it's wrong to say, well, what we need is more color, and so I'm going to put a person in, of color in this position when they're not the best person, and you've got somebody who's maybe white in that setting who's outstanding in that position. I think that's wrong. We do the same thing in our politic, of course. So I think this is something that begins with prayer, and I'll let Wes take it from here, but we have, to, we have to get on our knees, we have to pray, and we have to ask God to open unto us the cultural diversity that he wants us to be involved in touching and reaching. I only have so many gifts, and so until people with other gifts who are of a different color come on, um, people aren't going to be attracted to me. It's very simple. Lutherans are the whitest congregation in the country. That is a statistical fact. Evangelical Lutheran Church in America is the whitest congregation in America. We come from Northern European stock and proud of it. You will hear people, especially in the upper Midwest, sit around and talk about Sven and Ole jokes all the time, and Lutherans know exactly what I'm talking about. Nobody else knows. Nobody else cares about, you know. Um, and I absolutely agree with Jeff. It's going to start on your knees. It's going to start, Lutherans, on your knees in repentance. And it's going to start with a commitment to anti-racism, which is not very popular, affirmative, or sexy. Sorry. Our institution, our system, is at its core for the benefit of the white privileged male. And that is a sin, and that is racism and needs to be repented of. Turned around and go the other direction. And we white people of privilege do not like to hear that. We balk at that. We, yeah, but. Get your butt out of the way. And start connecting with the community in which you live, which is better than 30% Hispanic. And I agree with you, Jeff. It does not mean having a token person put into a position. Yeah. It means that out of who you are as a people, you genuinely want to reach out. So maybe St. John's needs to host a few quinceaneras. Hey. Yeah, our quinceanera is going to be. And we get a pastor or a priest that can actually do that all in Spanish. Then it might mean something in the community. Yeah, that's a really As opposed good point. to me not able to learn Spanish or whatever I'm at. So it's, so it's huge. You're absolutely right. So watch this, Pastor, and I, you may have even heard of this individual. He passed away a couple of years ago, and he had a go and blow in one of the biggest churches uh, uh, south and east of, of us here. Um, he, started, he started in an area of town south and east over by <clears throat> Alameda Mall. Alameda Mall. 
Um, you know who I'm thinking of? Dennis, uh, Dennis Leonard. Anybody ever heard of Dennis Leonard? Did anybody ever watch his program? All right. Dennis was as white <laughs> as a sheet. Okay. And I had lunch with Dennis one day, and we were talking about church growth things. And he said, Jeff, I found this. And again, he had one of the biggest churches in all of Colorado for decades. That was highly mixed, but the larger percentage was black because that's where the church was. It was in a black community. He said, Jeff, if you want to grow a church, buy land and get a gospel choir. And he meant black gospel choir. And that's what he did. He was the first among his contemporaries, and I was one of them, to get land. He did what he had to do. He was brilliant at it. He got land. He built a building, and he, got a, he gathered a gospel choir. And he never lacked for musicians or vocalists. But they sang black, and watch this, he preached black. Oh, could Dennis preach. And they came in droves. I don't have that gift, and I can't preach black, and we don't have a black gospel choir. And I think if we had a black gospel choir, largely black and Hispanic, you would see this place filled just by the choir or the music alone. Music alone will completely change that dynamic. The two biggest draws to any church are the messenger and the, the, the music. And we're very white that way, not by, you know, we, we didn't sit down and say, you know, we want white people yeah. to come to our Matt, church. Why, we, we, I don't know why we I have, have you as a leader. I'm, I have no soul. <laughs> and you're not helping us. And I don't, I don't mean this soul. I mean, I got no soul. <laughs> but you're great at what you do. Okay. Do we have any other, are there any questions? Yeah, here? well, this isn't a question, but a comment from okay. Jeff Peter that, that he sent real early uh, in the morning. Uh, an answer to the basic question, is the church still re relevant? And his comment is, absolutely, church is relevant because it's a place to gather with family, to get spiritually fed, to publicly worship our Lord, and to have fellowship with our church family. Thanks, Jeff. And we miss you here. <laughs> Any other questions? Any other questions? Is the church relevant? It's interesting the direction this has taken because nobody's asking some of the questions I thought you might have asked or engaged with us over some of the things that I thought you might have. And anybody out in the live stream audience, again, text or chat and uh, we'll respond. So since, since there hasn't been, I'm, I intentionally, I intentionally went out to carry an off who's a brilliant thinker, incredible churchman, author, writer, everybody looks, you know, wants him in their conferences. He's got a great big going, blowing church. And uh, I believe he's also from Canada for what that's worth. Here's what he said regarding this subject in a little bit different light. And you do have those slides there. I put them in a we might use these, uh, uh, Lewis, so if you would, they're called carry number one and carry number two. Five signs your church is becoming 
irrelevant. Okay? So how relevant is your church? Any idea how you would answer that accurately? You can debate how important relevance is all day long, and many do. But the truth is, irrelevant churches make most, almost no, have or make almost no impact on the community around them. Why is that? Because relevance determines impact. That's why. Relevance gains you a hearing. It determines whether or not people pay attention to you or whether they ignore you. By all accounts, most churches appear to be losing relevance. And then in the same article, listed five things that are signs that your church might be coming, might be becoming irrelevant. Okay? Here we go. Number one, you increasingly think new ideas are bad ideas. <laughs> Number two, the copyright dates of your music are from another era. <laughs> Everyone on your team is your age. Change makes you tired. You dominate emotion, you, you, your dominant emotions toward the culture are negative. Personally, I think that last one is where I find my greatest calling to change, adjust, be aware, read, be intelligent, and craft messages around that. I want to know how my community is thinking, and I want to speak to those so that I am relevant. And by the way, Pamela just said, uh, that our montage this morning was great. It had soul, Matt. <laughs> Thanks, Pam. Thanks, Pam. <laughs> Thank you, Pam. <laughs> All right, so let's pick up maybe on Carrie's ideas or any others that you well, have. But right before we get to that, or you said a moment ago mm -hmm. in reference to Dennis Leonard's church yes. that it was going and blowing. So the question is, what does that mean? What does going and blowing mean? Yeah. Well, and I don't value this the same way that I did in those years, that big is better, big, big is exciting, big means the Lord's hand is upon you, all of those things. If that's true, God long ago left us, we're completely <laughs> irrelevant, we have nothing to say, we shouldn't even be live streaming. Uh, so I mean it was large, it was exciting, it did not matter who you were, where you were in your religious convictions. When you walked in that church, there was probably something in that service that, that was going to lift you, uh, excite you, or make you mad and, and have you walk out. But you, you, there wasn't an in-between. He was full speed. He was a preacher's preacher, very much like an evangelist. Uh, very, he was on TV. <laughs> Uh, long before other people were on TV in Colorado or the Denver area. And uh, it was exciting. So that's what I mean by going and blowing. Those are measurements that I do not think are godly measurements to apply to a healthy church. 
There's, there's, there's things that make a church healthy, and I don't believe going and blowing is criteria. <laughs> Are you going and blowing? Losing my thought as quickly as I'm getting it, so it's probably <laughs> irrelevant. Oh, here's the thought. Old and white. Yeah, old and white. Um, how was Jesus relevant? He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He hung out with the poor. Wow. The drunkards. Okay. Um, you know... I love this quote. If there are two sides to humanity, Jesus will always be found on the wrong side. Mm. He just will be. If there are two sides to humanity, Jesus will always be found on the wrong side. That's just who he was. He was relevant to people. To real people. And therefore... The established institution that protected all the words and had all the rules and the rituals made sure that he got hung on a cross. And God vindicated him and said, Now we're not done yet. And he raised him from the dead. Wow, what a. Just excellent. Thank you, Wes. How was Jesus relevant? Did anybody write in? Okay. Anybody care to address further Carrie's thoughts about new ideas, bad ideas, uh, music, whether it's dated or not? Okay. All right. Everybody on your team is... Old. That's why I brought you in, of course. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's relative. My children think I'm old. <laughs> All right. So I was going to say, uh, you asked if Jesus is relevant, and I think this kind of speaks to both the church and Jesus. Um, life is continually throwing things at you. Um, growth is always part of life. And I think we, we touched on this early on where I, I had the experience of a very difficult time and going through a stressful growth process and went and confided in one of my, my uh, colleagues who was um, a lot older than I was. And she said, oh, me too. And it was depressing to me that someone who was as wise and as um, accomplished as this person and someone that I respected so much was still going through growth process. But it taught me that it never stops. And as long as there is growth, there needs to be guidance. People need, people are thirsty for input and guidance. And I think even especially now where you say, our culture has gone in a direction where the church seems to be irrelevant. Fewer and fewer people are going to church. Therefore, there are fewer guiding lights within our culture. And it makes it even more relevant. It makes a community where people are seeking Jesus, not a community where people are following the rules, not a community where people are being told what to do, but a community where people are seeking Jesus. 
it makes it more important. Um, I feel like one of my greatest outreaches is at my job, uh, where I am one of maybe just a couple or three people who would who would go to church regularly or, or would even say going to church is relevant or valuable. And my interactions with those people help me grow. I don't know if it's helping them grow, but I hope so. Um, but just this week, I had a, very, a fairly difficult week uh, dealing with colleagues and some, some things that came up, and it pushed me back into seeking Christ. And didn't have anything to do with church. But where do I find my foundation? I find my foundation in Christ, in my relationship with Christ. And where do I feed that foundation? I feed it here with the people who are also struggling and trying to get closer to Christ and learn more and grow. So to me, I think it's more relevant than ever. I think because fewer and fewer people are going, there's fewer and fewer opportunities to be grounded and find a foundation. That's a perfect segue, so go ahead, and, and then I'm going to read something. Okay. Well, um, so, okay, wait a minute. I've got a couple of... Um, let, let me go on this one thought. And actually, um, okay, I kind of got lost here also. Well, I know I have a, a question, and then Jeff Peter just asked this and it kind of, or stated this, and it kind of goes along with what, a couple things that have been said and my question. Okay, so Jesus said when two, this is from Jeff, when two or more are gathered, Jesus said when two or more are gathered, never said we needed a stadium full of people to be relevant. That was what you were talking about with the we don't have to be going, going in, our new byword now, going and blowing in order to be relevant. As a matter of fact, we might be more relevant and if we think in terms of gathering as relationship and people and love, so that brings me to small group gatherings. Now, Genesis just is a small group gathering uh, at this point in our history. But that does, and, and I'm not trying to put down any churches that do have a lot of people. So over the years, large churches have tried having small groups where small groups can gather and talk, and every part, every member can share, which is very valuable. And then there are those churches that, have, that are oftentimes called house churches, or, and where that is their church, they have, they have small house churches. You brought it up the other day to me when we were talking, and we've heard over the years, oh, the trend is going to house churches. Um, I'm not stating that as an absolute, but we've heard that. And, um, and, and it does fit really well with the concept of being able to wrestle your faith and talk and every person brings something to the table mm -hmm. and where uh, the love and care can be more actualized. I mean, sometimes I feel like I can't, you know, we have, this, we have, a, we have a group at Bingo that's quite large and I hear all these needs, and I want to care, but I don't have the time yeah. to actually do something for everybody who has a need. I can pray for all of them, but I can't actually get out there and visit everybody or do something. So it seems like the larger the group, well, the concept would be if everybody would do their part, somebody would care for them. That would be the hope. But in a smaller group, it seems like maybe we could do more 
more of that. Okay, so all of that said, so what do you think is the value of small group Christianity in this day and age? And that also gets back to the question Lisa asked a couple of weeks ago is something to the effect of, you know, what's relevant now? I mean, is it a, 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 a time of worship, a, a announcements, a sermon, and prayer? Is that and, you know, is that what makes the church relevant? That wasn't our exact question, but that was kind of it. So what is relevant today? Is it small groups? I'm going to answer that. Actually, I'm, I'm going to read an answer to that. This is from our dear friend in Switzerland, Ralph. Knowing that he could not join us today because he had work, and it's nine hours later there, so he's working tonight. Uh, he sent in his response ahead of time. He said, Jeff, in talking about what we call church today, it mainly consists of meetings, providing a place to connect, and absolute truth that one can adhere to. This provides purpose, family, security, safety, and belonging. Church as defined in Ecclesia is much more relevant than that, but in its current form, very limited in its relevancy for people on the outside, especially as they are usually seen as either lost or not yet saved. The Ecclesia, the consistently called out ones, he reminds us, by definition that we've shared, are the are to provide a city on a hill, an example, a framework for people to develop and evolve along the lines of God's plan into God's counterparts and companions far beyond the field of right and wrong or moral and ethics. This city on a hill or light of the world is a servant spirit that should provide a living example of growth rebuilding its worldview according to God's revelation all the time as we are called out again from the tradition and the image of God that we have found. So I would include into that whether it's a large church or a house church or small groups. He's getting at something here. If we're not going out, if we're not a city on a hill, if we're just a bless me club for our four and no more, that's not Jesus' idea of Ecclesia. The church as we know it today has cal calcified, falling prey to individual faith and remaining under the law. This is what we refer to as living with a dualistic worldview from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I agree that some churches have grown and become businesses or adopted liberal theology, some good, not, uh, some not so good, in following the world on the path of evolution of the mind that God is drawing us forward on. But they missed their role of guidance to the world, of being that city on the hill or light of the world. Therefore, their implementations of modernity and post-modernity are unhealthy, just as the world's are. The church, prob and get this now, if, if you've heard nothing, 
the church probably is the most relevant being on this earth and I consciously avoid the word institution. The church as an institution is a traditional viewpoint and it can only ever be part of the church as a whole, like an organ serving people that in certain spiritual places, uh, that are in certain spiritual places in their development. The church is a living being moving and living and breathing among people. It's not how big or how small. It's not whether it's white or black. It's a universal church that's to be a city on the hill helping lead people into a relationship with the almighty God. And he says, in quotes, now it's your time to pasteurize that so that it's palatable. <laughs> because we had a little exchange about, I can't say some of the things you tell me the way that you tell them to me because I've got to, I've got to pastor a people. And he said, yeah, that's the difference between you and me. You're a pastor and I'm not. <laughs> the very last one. How do you bring back people who no longer feel that the church is relevant? Wow, I was waiting for that one. I love that question. We're at the end of our time, and so anything that is said really needs to be just super brief, and, and we're going to do prayer. And I was wondering whether or not you'd want to... Um, yes, I think the best way to do this is um, love the people around you. And I think Wow. Lisa and I, um, I mentioned last time that about 80% of our group of friends is not would not be attending church currently uh, we were hanging out with some friends last night and they said you guys aren't like other Christians so we don't we don't treat you like other Christians and these are two people one of them I believe would be would consider themselves agnostic the other one maybe atheist I don't know uh, exactly I've never really asked them but they sep they segregated us you aren't like normal Christians. We know you're Christians, but you're not normal, so we're friends with you. And I think that's not because we've been planting the seed, right? We haven't been dropping scriptures on them. We haven't, we've just loved them. We just are friends, we're kind. We work through struggles with them. Um, I've, I have similar things that have been said to me at work. Um, well, you're, you're a different kind of Christian, you know. Well, Matt, he's a Christian, but he's not like that kind of Christian, you know, and I think that is where we bring people back, is loving people regardless of who they are, where they are, and, and just be kind and love. Really good, and I think this comment here uh, goes hand in hand. It was texted into us. The local church has an opportunity now, coming out of the COVID season, to get back out into the community and love on them, and in turn, you may see a mirrored image of our community in your growing congregation. This may very well be uncomfortable for some, but it's what is needed to grow in diversity. You grabbed your mic. How do you get people back that have left? Um, you don't. Um, they left for a reason. That reason is either you or me. And unless you're willing to deal with that reconciliation and repentance, 
you'll never see them back. And even when you do, they don't come back. You can love them and serve them when you have the opportunity and pray that they find another place because they're probably on an interesting journey themselves. Um, but why do we want to drag them back into painful relationships? Unless you're willing to deal with them. It's an important point. Before we pray, because I want to end with prayer, so why don't you go ahead and take care of the announcements now and then list for us anybody that we're going to include in prayer. Here are the announcements. Okay. Uh, helps if I have the microphone on. Hello. Okay. Announcements, everybody. Okay, tomorrow night we are having media department training. If any of you would be interested in being part of our media department, we could use your help. And it's at 6.30 right here, back, right here, back there. And then um, really the only other thing is just a continuing reminder for your giving, and we do appreciate it. Um, Scripture does tell us, give, and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down. It's a principle of God, and generosity is a principle of God. And so we thank you for your giving always. We're very grateful. If you're here in the sanctuary, there's envelopes in the back and a basket for your giving. Online, you can go to our website and uh, find the place to click to give. And then on our texting to give, it's 720 Seven three zero eighty five ten. Then you wanted me to go through the list, okay? Yeah, if you would. I did have something in my heart about prayer today. Okay. When uh, the worship team was uh, leading worship this morning, something happened for me. See, you don't have to have soul. black soul. soul. You don't even have to have black soul for God to be present. <laughs> Although gonna, I love black soul I'm music. I'm not going to hear the end of that <laughs> analogy, am I? But something happened to me. I, I started getting these a couple of pictures. It was on the song about um, God coming after us, and he's a good, good, is it good, good father? Yeah. So getting pi a couple of pictures of a particular time in my life where I was desperate and upset and, and, and all those negative feelings we feel, and God came and embraced me in a very real way, doing some very real things that I knew was him that brought me love and comfort and safety. And I thought, you know, that big prayer list we have that, just, that we have every week, uh, you know, sometimes we need to... I remember times where God met me at my point of need. I had actual visualizations this morning of times where God met me, and it's a reminder he will meet me and us again. So I just want to take a moment, mm. and if you wouldn't mind just even closing your eyes so that you can focus inward for a moment. I know almost all of us have had times that we know it was God who did that thing. Maybe got us the money we needed or repaired the relationship. Or maybe there was a, we wanted to be pregnant and we weren't pregnant, we knew God did it. Maybe actually it was miraculous, you were supposed to never have something, and yet you did. Never get healed, yet you did. I want you to look back on those times you just know it was God in your place of need.
So in light of that faith, I'm going to read these prayer requests and bring that same God to these prayer requests. Of course, we have the very large one of praying for the Ukraine. And you know, and praying for Russia too, because Russia, you know, we realize they're the instigators, but they're real people who are dying. So we want to pray for the for the people of Ukraine and of Russia. We're um, continuing to pray for Ben, who was hit by a car, had emergency brain surgery. He's still recovering. His wife, Rachel. Maxine is getting better. We're glad to hear that. For Spencer, the 20-year-old with lymph cancer. Taylin, who we've been praying for, and is uh, she is in rehab now, and the rehab is going well. There's still a long, long way to go, and some things that are not expecting to return to her body in the natural. Um, and they need a car, by the way. They need a car so that they can um, bring her wherever she needs to go with a wheelchair now. For Kathy and Jack's granddaughter, we prayed for her last week. Karsten, it did turn out to be cancer. There will be surgery on the 18th. We want to pray for her family, Michelle and Ken, as they deal with this as well. The preemie, little preemie Jackson, is at home. We prayed for him. Uh, still continuing to pray for him to improve. His mom, Samantha, dealing with postpartum depression. Pray for Kathy's cousins, who just had another death in the family, the death of her cousin. So pray for her cousin's family. Um, we're praying still for Barb, Barbara and uh, dad, Arthur, Cindy's, um, who is uh, on his way uh, in, in the dying process. For B, for ongoing sciatica pain. For Ray, who has several family members, cancer, some other big health issues. For our Jeff. For Mary's family member, Jackie, dealing with cancer, believing that she's going to get healed. For Linda's kidneys to be healed, Terry to uh, be able to process depression and grieving and get a new job. Um, we're praying still for Pam's aunt for continued strength. And I think that's it. And always I just want to apologize if I've missed a prayer request because they come in through various means. So I knew you wanted to do something before we actually pray. Uh, well, I want to go ahead and if, if you feel led to okay. pray over okay. those, and then we're going to close with a special okay. prayer. Okay. So we do bring this big, big God that we remember. We just bring into our viewpoint the big, big God we know he is to these situations. And we thank you. I, the song this morning, you know, came into my mind. You've got the whole world in your hands, the whole wide world in your hands, Lord. You are a big God. You are an able God. You are a caring God. And I thank you. You care for every one of these people and these situations. And we pray that you would intervene. That you